listening to Law and Gospel on this Holy Week Monday, April the 15th in the year of our Lord, 2019. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. I'm all by myself today, and we're going to be taking a look at readings for Holy Week. Here's what I've kind of decided. Today, we're going to take a look at Monday, Thursday, the reading. Tomorrow, which is Rumination Tuesday with Mark Smith, we're doing an Easter hymn, and so we'll talk about Easter tomorrow. And then on Wednesday, which is the Bible class for congregations or individuals listening to it in their homes or their churches, we may touch on Good Friday. And then end the week with Rumination Thursday with Wes Reinitz, and we're off on Friday. Okay, so what are we going to be looking at? We're going to be looking at what's called Monday Thursday. First thing I want to say about that is it isn't Monday Thursday, as though we couldn't decide what was the day that Jesus had the Last Supper with his disciples. Was it Monday? Was it Thursday? No, Monday is M-A-U-N-D-Y. And it's from the Latin word mandatum, which means commandment. So what was the commandment that Jesus gave on Monday, Thursday? Was it to receive his body and blood? Well, it certainly was that, but the commandment was love one another as I have loved you. Now, we're going to be taking a look. This is the three-year system of readings, and during this year, Luke is the primary one we're looking at. And so we're looking at Luke chapter 22, beginning with verse 7. And it begins, Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Now, one of the things I'm doing is I drive around putting on about a 1,000 miles a week to various congregations, uh, preaching, Bible studies, uh, doing Uber every now and then, as well as my other activities in the car. I love listening to the radio, Sirius XM, but I'm also listening to a whole set of CDs that have the Bible on it. And I just finished the book of Leviticus, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus. Uh, By the way, I would encourage people who want to read the Bible that they should start in the New Testament, probably with Romans and perhaps one of the gospel writings to get a understanding of Jesus, who he is, so that when you go back to the Old Testament, you see him in a lot of passages. The first day of unleavened bread, the Passover festival required the slaughter of a one-year-old male lamb or goat in the temple forecourt in the afternoon. It was eaten as the main course of the evening meal. And so... This was the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So verse 8 of Luke 22. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat of it. They said to him, 
where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. Now, Jesus does this a number of times where he seems to know things for which really we don't have any evidence. How did he get to know this? And this would be an example either because he is God, he can use his attributes to know all things, even the future. Or he could have received a vision or a message from the Father about this man carrying a jar of water who really is serving in a house where there will be a place for the Passover. Uh, Remember the previous Sunday, Palm Sunday, Jesus says you'll find a man and ask him that the master needs to use the donkeys to come into Jerusalem, and sure enough, all that came to pass also. So without getting into a theological understanding of how Jesus came to know this, we do realize that what he said is true. And sure enough, when they went, they found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. So, going on with verse 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at table. Now, recline gives you the impression he was kind of lying down. And we need to understand that many of the artistic renderings of the Last Supper are somewhat in error with Jesus sitting at the head of a table and all the other disciples, you know, also on the same side as Jesus, and they're talking with each other and looking at him and this sort of thing. No, the way they were eating the Passover is they would actually lie down and keep their head up with one arm and eat with the other arm, and their feet would be going away uh, from the table. And it wasn't so much a table. It was raised a little bit, but it was kind of in a rectangle. And we can see uh, from the Bible who was sitting where. But that's what they meant by reclining. It, it's why when the woman at another banquet Jesus was at where they were reclining was able to wash his feet with her hair because she didn't have to get under any table. Uh, they were reclining. And the apostles were with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this passer, Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. What does that mean? Well, His death will keep him from having received the Passover again. But he eats with his disciples, of course, after the resurrection. 
And when he says, until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God, the Passover is actually fulfilled in Jesus' death. When we talk about being fulfilled, that means there is a prophecy from the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled. And who cannot understand the cross when you look at the original Passover? Remember, the angel of death is going to come through Egypt, killing the firstborn, not only of male children, but even of animals in the household, the firstborn. And so how did the Israelites and others keep the angel of death from coming to them? They killed a lamb and put its blood over the doorway and down the sills. And when the angel of death saw that, he passed over and he would not kill anyone there. That, that happened also by some Egyptians. Either they had married Israelites or they too had come to faith. Because remember the 10 plagues that made it pretty obvious how powerful God is. So at any rate, Jesus is saying, I tell you I will not eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God, which meant his crucifixion. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. Now, the Greek word for thanks, to give thanks, Eucharisto, a lot of people refer to the Holy Supper of the Lord as a Eucharist. Others say the Lord's Supper is also a holy communion. But at any rate, it is the time when he's about to do the Lord's Supper. Now, this first cup is actually one of three cups that would occur during the Passover. And it is not the cup where he gives his blood. That's about to come. In verse 19, And he took bread, and when he given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is a very, very important verse because... He doesn't say this symbolizes my body. No, he's very clear. He says this is my body. Here he's uh, actually leaving the regular ceremony and he is identifying this piece of bread with his body given on the cross as a vicarious sacrament. What does that mean? Well, he is substituting himself for you. That it is his body that will take the suffering of the cross, the forsaking of the Father, and therefore pay for the sins of the whole world. 
When he says, do this in remembrance of me, that's the normal translation. I'm kind of leaning towards a uh, different one where the Greek is quite possible, do this in my remembrance of you. You see, when people think, well, how often do I have to take the Lord's Supper? I have to do it each time I remember. Well, once or twice a year is enough. And there are actually churches that only have the Lord's Supper on Monday, Thursday. But Jesus isn't talking about the frequency here when he says, do this in remembrance. If God forgets you, that means you are not a believer and you are not getting the blessings that he has for his family. If God remembers you, he is giving you blessings. Now, we already know what the blessings of baptism are. It's, it's found in Acts chapter 2 when Peter says, Be baptized, and remember the two gifts that you receive? The gift of the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. When I'm talking in uh, adult instruction, adult catechism, confirmation, I have three questions that I try and get people to understand. When were your sins forgiven? That's the first one. And people think, well, I guess when I came to faith. Or they'll say, when I was baptized. No, that is not correct. Your sins were forgiven at the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. That's really important to understand because it really shows that those who are saying, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, your sins will be forgiven. And see, they're, they're making your faith the necessary attribute that is needed before you can say, my sins are forgiven. No, we don't teach that. We believe that the sins of everybody is forgiven, are forgiven. But then why doesn't everybody go to heaven? That's the second question. It's one thing that your sins are forgiven, but when did you receive the gift? See, that's the difference between those who go to heaven and those who do not. Those who receive the gift, that is when salvation occurs. And we believe, teach, and confess that occurs in baptism. Or if you're hearing the word of God, you hear the gospel and you come to faith, at that point you have received the gift of the forgiveness of sins. So there's a big distinction. But here's how a difference in evangelism would take place. If you don't believe that your sins are forgiven until you believe, then you would say, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and your sins will be forgiven. And mean that to say that your faith is what gets your sins forgiven. In contrast to saying your sins have been forgiven, therefore believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see the difference? It's really important. Uh, how many times have we as pastors gone to the bedside of an individual who is about ready to die, and they're wondering, boy, all those sins I've done, are they really forgiven? And they think they may not be because they haven't lived that good a life since they've been a Christian. 
See, this is getting things mixed up again. Sanctification, which is our response to being saved, does not mean that's how we are saved, by our response. No. It's by our adoption that we are saved. And so it's very comforting for someone near death to hear your sins were forgiven at the cross. And you receive that gift through baptism and through faith in Jesus Christ. The, the third question I always ask, since we can fall from faith, fall from our baptism, how do we know that God considers us still as forgiven? And the gift he's given there is what we're talking about, Monday, Thursday, the Lord's Supper. For in the Lord's Supper, what God is saying is your sins remain forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. The Lord's Supper, therefore, is kind of a reassurance of our being a child of God. Regardless of the level of our sins, which for which we repent, remember we always have that repentance during the worship of the Lord's Supper that therefore means we're still, in light of God, saved. So, next point. After saying, this is my body, likewise the cup after they had eaten. So this would be another cup, not the first one. He says, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And in other passages, he even says, this cup is my blood. So you receive the body under the bread and the wine and his blood under the wine. And he says, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. What's the old covenant? Just go back to Exodus 20. The old covenant where God said he will forgive the sins of the people was based on their response, we will obey and do everything that you tell us to do. It was a covenant of law, a covenant of obedience. The new covenant is a covenant of faith, simply by trusting the promises of the gospel you are now a member of the new covenant in his blood. And he says, but behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the, ta on the table. So what he's saying is that gathered around where we're lying is one who will betray me. For the son of man goes at his as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And then they begin to question one another, which of them it could be who is going to do this. You really need to take a look at more than just Luke because there's more in the other Gospels explaining 
also what is happening at the Passover. Judas is the one who's going to betray him. And in another passage, Jesus says, it would be better had this man never been born. And especially here where he says, woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Woes are curses brought by God, not because of disobedience, but because of unbelief. Very important distinction. I've heard recently some pastors thinking that Judas also was saved, but I don't think he would have been when Jesus says it had been better had he never been born. And woe to the man by whom the Messiah is betrayed. So last Thursday with Wes Reimnitz, we were taking a look at a Franciscan friar who believes that Jesus is going to save everybody. There's nobody who's not going to be saved. This contradicts so many Bible passages. Just take a look at Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats. The sheep, they're going to heaven. The goats are going to hell. So is Jesus lying? No. There is a heaven, there is a hell. And this idea, it's normally called universalism, that everybody is going to be saved is a horrible teaching. Because if you believe that, there's no need to do any kind of good work ever because you're going to heaven anyway, no matter what you do. And, and so it is definitely heresy to teach this universal Christ that is in everything. In fact, the writer thought that his pet dog, with whom he was good friends, was also Jesus. Now, there's no doubt that Jesus works through others to give us comfort. Like when I have an illness, I don't go see Jesus, I go see a doctor. And I'm praying that God is using that doctor to help me overcome the illness, whether it takes a pill or surgery or whatever. That's how God works. But what is important about Monday, Thursday is that this becomes an opportunity for us to be assured that we are still children of the Most High. As we receive the bread, which is the body of Christ, and the blood, which is, we see the wine, which is the blood of Christ. Very, very comforting so that we never have to doubt whether or not we're still in the family of God. Now, people who are not realize that they don't believe in Jesus and maybe they're just going through the Lord's Supper, you know, so they don't upset their spouse or family members or something like that. But, but to those who have a sincere desire to be assured of their salvation, that means they have faith. And that faith is rewarded by the words of Jesus Christ. This is my body given to you for the forgiveness of sins. Another assurance that we receive from God. As I indicated, 
this being Holy Week, we've got a Monday, Thursday, we've got a Good Friday, and, of course, we have Easter Sunday. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to be kind of uh, taking a look at Easter as we go over a hymn with Pastor Mark Smith. And we'll be talking about the meaning of Easter, and this hymn has some wonderful things to say. So I wanted to wait till tomorrow to do the Easter. And then on Wednesday, I'm hoping to have a passage from the Bible for the Bible study that deals with Good Friday. And we'll be talking about that then on Wednesday. Uh, Thursday, we're having our regular Rumination Thursday with Wes Reimnitz. Probably also it'll be on Holy Week. Uh, Friday, we will not be having a live program, but be back live next Monday for the first reading after Easter. I'm Tom Baker. This would be a great opportunity for you to donate to our program. Please listen as to how to do that right now as the address is provided. God bless each and every one of you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.